0: Hello, beautiful listeners. Welcome to the Colorism Healing Podcast, where our goal is to learn, transform, and resist. I am your host, Dr. Sarah Webb. This podcast is the audio experience of my weekly live streams on Instagram, which I do every Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. If you like what you hear today, be sure to subscribe and share. You can also get lots more content at colorismhealing.com. But in the meantime, I hope you enjoy this episode. Hello, welcome to the weekly live stream with yours truly, Dr. Sarah L web of colorism healing. Today's topic is breaking generational cycles of colorism. So last week I talked about mothers in colorism. In the past I've talked about fathers in colorism and colorism within families. So this week I want to get a little more practical and talk about different strategies, tactics, pathways, approaches that parents, caregivers, legal guardians can take if they want to address colorism within their Homes and without their homes or outside of their homes when it comes to their kids specifically. So, I am going to pin that topic here in the chat. While I do that, go ahead and say hello if you are tuning in, if you'd like to let me know where you're tuning in from, how your day is going. <laughs> oh, goodness, this would take forever if it was not for autocomplete. <laughs> All right, post it, pin it, all right, there we go. Doc, beautiful and black, thank you, black906, underscore 26.2. Always good to see you in the comments section. Hey folks, come on in the room. I heard somebody singing that song, come on in the room during one of their live streams. And ever since then I've been saying it in my live stream. So one of the things that I think about in terms of my work as a whole is people often ask me if I've done things or ask me if I will do things or plan to do things. And one of those things is, will you do more for children? Do you have stuff that's specifically created for kids or are we focusing more on kids, right? And so I think a lot of parents are looking for child-centered content and we know that a lot of the content on colorism does focus on adults and is focused on adults or is made for adults right and i i kind of understand that in a sense so what i all, how i often react or respond with that question are those recommendations and suggestions is that working on the adults working with the adults is going to significantly impact the lives of all the children those adults take care of or work with or rear or raise or teach or serve in any kind of way. And so I I don't think that working with adults or helping adults is necessarily ignoring children, but my framework is that, yes, I do have content, created specifically for children, specifically like the coloring books and workbooks. But I also believe in my soul that as adults start to heal, as adults start to unlearn and reprogram their biases, the children who are with, under their influence are going to benefit from their healing, right? And so that's kind of where I want to start. I left off with that at the end of last week, thinking about mothers and colorism. So I want to start there again, today um, by just saying, you know, the, the best thing we can do for kids, for our kids sometimes is to do work on our own healing and, you know, hurt people, hurt people, repressed trauma comes out in ways we would never intend. And so I think not only does healing our own wounds around anti-blackness and racism and colorism and other forms of trauma, not only does it keep us from perpetuating hurt and harm directly towards the children that we care for. But it also allows us to then be role models of what self-love looks like. And that was really my point last week too, is that yes, without that healing component, we can actually be abusive towards kids. But aside, apart from you know, obviously abusive behaviors, there's also the need to simply be a good role model in terms of how to love your own Blackness, in terms of how to navigate the world with a sense of pride in your Blackness, because that's what kids see. That's how kids are learning. They learn by observation first and foremost. Before they ever understand verbal language, before they ever learn to speak, they, that's how they learn to eat, that's how they learn to walk, that's how they learn to crawl, that's how they learn to, you know, hold a bottle, like all these things. Some of it is instinct, but also they're watching us. They're watching their parents, but also just all the adults that have some type of influence on them in some way. Um, And I encourage parents to not skip over the inner work because sometimes it can be easier and more comfortable to say, oh, well, yeah, I have my issues, but, you know, I'm kind of... um, how do people describe it? Like, I'm a lost cause, right? So some parents can feel like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm in my twilight years. I'm a lost cause. No need to look at me. Let's just focus on the next generation. And again, I think that's um, like a sabotaging thing, right? We sabotage our efforts to help kids when we aren't willing to lead by example in terms of this is what it looks like to heal. This is what it looks like to, to love yourself. I think that is just... So important, obviously it's important to me because I keep I'm still talking about it. <laughs> I have not moved on to my next point yet. Um, as always, these conversations are interactive. I welcome questions, comments, testimonies, feedback, um, points of clarification and that sort of thing. And are you, you're happy to just watch and hang out with me? I appreciate it. Whether you're watching the recording or watching me live, I am so inspired by all of you. I I am such an emotional person. Like why? Like it's, it's easy to for me to get sentimental about this stuff, but I'm so inspired by just your lives cuz I follow a lot of you. I can't follow everybody, but those of you who I do actually follow and I see your content come through my feed every now and then, I'm just I feel honored to be a part of your community as well, and so I thank you for engaging in this particular topic that so many people are still ignoring and that so many people are still dismissive about and denying that it even exists. Okay, so I broke it down into five environments that parents can curate. I, I'm not going to say parents can control an environment, but we, you can certainly curate your environment, right? I don't think you can't like micromanage the entirety of your child's existence but there are things that I, I'm recommending for parents to do in terms of these five environments and so the, that first environment I've already talked about it which is your own inner space your my, your own mind your own heart your own spirit right so I think parent even the, the self-care piece right putting your own oxygen mask on first and you know making sure that you're well enough to then care for others is really important and so I think Parents, definitely, I'm encouraging as part of your colorism healing within your family unit is to definitely continue to check on your own healing, continue to unlearn your programming and your biases. But the second environment, which gets a little more into the practical side of things, is the home environment. So we're going to go out into little concentric circles, right? So yourself and then the home environment, at home, you know, where you sleep, where you cook your meals and things like that. I definitely think that's a space where parents will have the greatest influence and the greatest degree of control in terms of the environment that their children grow up in. I was also going to say that, you know... We could work with children so for example if i worked one-on-one with a child and i took them through the colorism healing workbook and worked on affirmations with them but i then had to send them back to a home that was reinforcing colorist ideas i think it would be like taking one step forward and two steps back and so again i say as we're hoping to help children one of the biggest things we can do is change the environment around those children, right? And so it might look like, you know, oh, there we need to do more with children. We need to do more to talk to children, right? I I would say that a different perspective on that is, you know, we in working on the environments that these children are learning in and living in and being cared for in, right, making sure their doctors are not mistreating, like all of the environment is going to make a difference with the kids. And so the home environment obviously being the first line of defense and very practical things. Again, I'm trying to keep it practical because, you know, I can get a little philosophical every now and then is decorating the home with images and items that affirm blackness, that affirm dark skin, that affirm a, a firm, c hair. I remember watching a TikTok video of a dark-skinned black man, where he actually showed some of the artwork on his walls. And so, even though his um he was raising a son, right? He just had a son. He still had images of dark-skinned black women on his walls, right? And so, again, it's not just black girls who need to learn how to see the beauty in black girls. Even if you're raising sons, have allow them expose them to images of. Black women, beautiful images of Black women. And um, the third one, not the third one, (laughs) one, three. The second one is to choose neighborhoods when you you can, when possible. Like this is practical to an extent, right? I'm not saying sell your house and move across town. (laughs) But let's say if you happen to be moving or if you happen to be on the market, for a house. It's something that you can consider is the level of cultural exposure and diversity that your children might grow up in. And I say that as, some, as an adult moving from central Illinois to Harlem, New York, the impact that that change in location has had on my healing and on my joy and sense of peace, like the, the town, the neighborhood does, can definitely make a difference. The third thing, now we're at number three, is to cure, curate the media that you intake. So as a family, the cartoons that you watch together, the movies you watch together, the music you all listen to, the books that you all read together, the coffee table books that you have. What are the other types of media? The, the sources of news that you go to as a family, um, the kinds of magazines that you subscribe to as a family. Right? These are sort of media pieces and elements that you can curate in your home environment. And then the fourth thing for this home environment is to be consistent and intentional about the values and the lessons and the stories that you share as a family. And so I I talked about this in one of my first blog posts, like way back in 2011, 2012, you know, like a decade ago. And I remember saying that the... I forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> Trying to remember when I said it. I forgot what I said. Y'all. Ooh, I, got, I just got a yellow fever vaccine. So I'm going to chalk it up to like side effects from getting a yellow fever vaccine. <laughs> oh, goodness. What was I going to say? Okay, so the, the point that I'm on is being intentional about the lessons and the the values that you share as a family. And, um... Oh, I, I, I remembered it. Sorry. What I was saying is that parents will always explicitly teach values like, oh, you should share your toys with your sister, or, you know, ask, say thank you, right? Whatever your values are that you explicitly teach, include loving blackness as one of those explicit values right it's okay just like you can say oh clean your room you can also say oh don't be afraid to enjoy the sunshine you know we'll put on sunscreen but we can go out and play and getting a tan is perfectly normal and um our skin tones are beautiful even if they change throughout the year you know like you can also explicitly teach those things as well. You don't have to just teach um, like how to wash the dishes or responsibility or kind, being kind to your siblings. Um, so I think including that in the intentional values that you want to share as a family. But in this section, I'm including not just values or lessons like that, but also stories and narratives, right? thinking specifically about the family. So as a, as a family, as a parent or a guardian or a caregiver, are you telling them stories about your own life, about the family legacy, about the larger history of, of your people or um, stories even that you have heard or inherited from other people, right? And allowing them to see that they have a legacy like they people like them they themselves but also people who look like them have history have stories have robust and rich culture and lives and or varied and have these range of experiences and range of emotions right all right so the second the third and envi- I'm gonna stop counting I'm just going to stop counting <laughs> I, all right the third environment is the extended family. This is really juicy. I'm not going to go super deep into extended family dynamics because I did a live on it um, last year maybe. So I'll re- refer you to that. You can look up colorism and families of color on YouTube. And I'm recommending YouTube instead of Instagram because you can actually search YouTube. Even though the video is technically on Instagram, I don't know how an easy way for you to find it on Instagram. Whereas if you go to YouTube, you can just search in the title colorism and families. But some strategies in terms of dealing with colorism in the extended family. So outside of your nuclear home or the people that live under the same roof, just three simple points. One, continue to limit the time spent with colorist family members, especially if they persist, if they're being stubborn in their colorism and they actually are not open to even trying. And then if you do interact with these family members, is to have a plan in place before you go to the the barbecue right have a plan in place before you go to to dinner or you go to the birthday party or you go to the graduation have a plan in place for how you're going to respond if they say something colorist or if they do something colorist right so you could either just you know decide to walk walk out or you can pose a question you can ask them to clarify with questions you can just outright call them out and Check them on it, you know, but have a plan in place. And then part of that plan could be having an ally, right? So let's say if you're a married couple and you're taking your dark-skinned children to the family and you're like, okay, so-and-so has a tendency to be colorist. If I give you the nod, this is what we're going to do, right? Um, And then the third thing is to deepen relationships with supportive family members. And I think part of what I'm thinking is how... Parents and guardians have such a large influence over the life of a child, but parents don't have to be limited to their own expertise. They don't have to be limited to their own availability and time. They can, you tap into the village, right? They can tap into the village, whether you're related by blood or whether they're just, you know, chosen family. You can definitely tap into the village to help you in the raising of kids who are confident and thriving in all of their blackness. Let me check for comments. So those are the, the three points I had about the extended family. All right, all right, okay. Your vulnerability is your strength. Continue being strong. Yay, thank you. I do believe vulnerability is powerful. The fro is thriving. <laughs> and also, thank you. It's the twist out. I am going to do a video because everybody comments on my hair and I think it's simpler than people might realize. I don't, I don't, I think people might assume it's really complicated, but I think once I tell you how I do it, you'll be like, oh, okay. <laughs> All right. The fourth, I thought I was going to stop counting, right? <laughs> so much for that. The fourth environment is the school environment. I also did a live on colorism in education, I believe. But the school environment, I have four points here. One, as a parent, as a guardian, and I think within the black community, but even in like other, um, like, you know, um, amongst Asian Americans, like amongst immigrant families and stuff like that of different races, there's this like hyper focus on traditional schooling and traditional education. And I think that sometimes, brings the approach to school out of balance to an extent where it can be hyper-focused on the academic experience and, like, getting a certain GPA and getting scholarships and going to college. And, like, that's a valid route for the people who are meant to be on that route. But I think as parents who want to raise children in a white supremacist society who are not white supremacists, who do not turn out to be white supremacists, we have to, one, understand the all the flaws within the education system and not just be sort of obliviously beholden to that structure. And it's not the end-all, be-all, right? And so trying to find that balance where we're not going to sacrifice um, cultural affirmation for my child just because this school or this district has higher test scores because, well... <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to get into a whole conversation about the education system. But consider that, right, that there are there's a multitude of factors in the your child's ability to really succeed holistically long term and have a healthy sense of self that go far beyond like district text, test test scores and things like that. And the second thing is getting to know the teachers, the administrators, and other school staff, like actually try to get to know the teachers, meet them at least once, but also try to get to know what their values are around diversity, around equity, around inclusion, right? So don't just ask them like what their discipline, well, yes, ask them what their discipline policy is because we know that disproportionately affects dark-skinned kids, Um, but you know, ask them, how they approach cultural history months, right? Ask them if they have programs during Black History Month. Ask them if they celebrate Women's History Month. Ask them who are some of the books that they like to, what are some of the books that they like to read every year? Or, you know, do they have, um, how do they decorate their classroom? And like, is it representative of the students in that classroom? Is it representative of the world that the students live in? And so, yeah, like, you know, open house, like, Maybe that's, maybe I can collaborate with some people on that. I know some people who do a lot of colorism and are also like educator, educators, (laughs) the educators, educators, um, you know, making like a checklist for parents in terms of like wanting to see if your uh, child's teacher or principal, um, one second, my phone, I did not charge my phone battery. Y'all probably thinking Dr. Web is kind of a mess today. I'm not, I promise. I do have a solution for this. Alright. So yeah. Or someone else could make that resource, right? Like a checklist for parents when they go to open house or when they go to parent teacher meetings. What's um what are some things that they can questions they should be asking there? And that that probably already exists. <laughs> in some form, I'm sure. I hope this, I hope this live is semi-entertaining as well as informative for you all. (laughs) Oh (laughs) Oh, my, okay. Y'all still there? Okay. (laughs) All right, I'm just gonna hold it because my tripod, maybe I can do this. Let me do this, bear with me. (laughs) <laughs> all right cool there we go this should be more stable hopefully if not y'all will just have to see another tower moment so i see a comment from one of our regulars lucid lows and some others let me come back and read these my child's education is greater than being around colourless black kids that look like them. (laughs) That's a good point. But also, it's not just about the educational piece. It's also, it sounds like it's also um, a, a value or a strategy that you're doing to protect your child from colorism. And let's see, yes, I made it. Happy to be here, yay always happy to have you. I have a white client who adopted a mixed child and had her in the most racist school in our state that still reenacts slavery. This is a comment from L. Woods Salon. Wow. I'm not sure what kind of um, work you do with that client, but I think, you know, someone was on my other live stream talking about how they were adopted by a white family. I don't think, I don't know if they were a mixed race or not, but they were not white and they were adopted by a white family. And so I think what I was mentioning last week is that parents of any race can be oblivious. We all know um, black parents, other parents who don't understand what their children might need in terms of being affirmed racially, but is that much more likely that white parents also would not understand if they're adopting black children or have mixed race kids. Um, but hopefully, you know, that's why people offer services, Elwood Salon, so hopefully they're learning from you. K-Drama <laughs> Omen is laughing, I'm, yes. I'm glad that you're able to laugh about it. I'm certain, I think it's a, a nice little um, novelty. I don't, that's never happened during my live stream. So, So it was due to happen, it was bound to happen. As often as I go live, <laughs> my phone has never fallen. All right, she finally moved out of the city, but that girl is still traumatized. School is so important. Yeah, you know, people talk about how the school environment is, you know, oftentimes even more influential than the home environment because of the amount of time that children will spend at school and because of the types of socialization that happen at school. Whereas at home, they're primarily just dealing with the same you know, few people and those people have a certain type of relationship with them. It's at school where they learn and are socialized to interact with everybody else in society who's, who they're not related to, which is most of society, right? Um, and yeah, and in school being one of the, one of the, not one of the, being the primary pipeline to the workforce, even, even in 2022, um, there's so much at stake about the school environment right um so yeah and I think that you know Lucid Losa's point about just because a school has a high population of black people doesn't mean it's going to be affirming for black students right so you know I think getting a sense of whatever space that you ultimately enroll your children in is is of utmost importance Uh, Lucy says there are black rappers that want to reenact slavery for thrills and they are once black kids. They were once black kids in school. White people aren't the only ones that weaponize slavery. Dark-skinned kids get attacked at home as well as school, unfortunately. Yes, this is from Jamie Danielle. Yeah, so Jamie Danielle's comment reminds me that you know, these Practices, these strategies, these habits that I'm suggesting for parents and guardians and caregivers um, assume intent, the intent to break the generational cycle of colorism. And so I'll acknowledge that there are plenty, lots, if not most parents and adults in the world are not concerned about stopping colorism. So, you know, this topic might not have that big of an audience because a lot of parents could care less if their children learn to love themselves or grow up to be anti-black or you know if colorism persists in any way and that's also why i always despised the um the response whenever i would talk about colorism and people would be like oh well their parents should just tell them that they're beautiful And I'm like, but we know that many, many parents don't. And so we need the rest of the adults who do care to step up, right? Because it's kind of like, people would say that uh, to be dismissive about the work that I do and the work of other people who talk about colorism. They want it to be dismissive. Like, oh, we don't need to have this conversation. Parents just need to tell their children that they love them and that they're beautiful. And then we wouldn't need to bring you in to do a workshop because it starts at home. And so I would say, but how many people don't have parents who are going to tell them that they're beautiful? Lots of people have parents who will never say you're beautiful. On top of that, will outright call their own children ugly or too black or too this, right? And so we can't let the fate of our society rest on the goodwill of people who happen to have kids. Um, And so I think... We who do care whether we have kids or not have to be doing this work and teaching and fighting for policy change and doing our own inner work and being role models just in how we live our life precisely because we're trying to stand in the gap for all the kids and inner child, inner children, inner childs who did not have affirming parents growing up. The, the second thing in terms of the school environment is to form alliances with other parents. And I'll, I'll be transparent about where I got this idea from is watching my sister be a parent. <laughs> Last week, I was like very transparent. I'm not a parent. Uh, so I'm very cautious when I give parenting advice because I'm not a parent. So my suggestions are based on observations. Other people who are parents, like what they have been doing research studies about education, research studies about parenting and child development and diversity and things like that, um, and as well as, like, my theories and being, growing up what I might have needed as a kid and that kind of thing, but it's very much not coming from the perspective of a parent. And so I'm also trying to be gracious. Like, I'm I, when I was preparing for this, I was like, okay, I don't want parents to be like, oh, yeah, if you had a kid, you would never offer that piece of advice. <laughs> So, if you are a parent, feel free to, like, check me and, you know, be like, ah, nah, that's not realistic, Dr. Wynn. I totally get it. Totally. Um, black 90626.2 says, I attended Tuskegee Institute High School. 99.9% black and classism was one of the biggest drivers. Yeah, thank you for saying that. Because classism in the black community is a huge problem. It's It does correlate to color but you will have you will sometimes have darker skinned people who are also upper class are more wealthy um, who are quote-unquote who gain access to these privileged spaces as well and I saw it a lot too um, at various HBCUs especially the really prestigious HBCUs historically black colleges and universities I saw it in like my neighborhoods growing up in the south it, there's an elite class of black people, so yeah, that I mean they say all skin folk ain't kin folk. <laughs> um, but so I was saying the the observation to form alliances with other parents comes from observing how my sister has been going about raising her children and the relationships that children have with their peers a lot of times is nurtured by the parents, right? And so if you want your children to have friends, sometimes the parent has to also make friends and say, okay, you wanna go on a play date? Okay, oh yeah, I wanna go to the park. Okay, I have to like help you (laughs) maintain this friendship. Oh, you wanna talk to your friend and you're only six so you don't have your own phone. Okay, well then I'll coordinate with their mom to get you on FaceTime, you know? And so I think parents, especially the younger the children are, have to be really involved and you know sh- shaping their child's experiences with their classmates and with you know their teachers and things like that. And then the fourth thing I'll say in terms of school environment is don't be afraid to change schools. Again, going back to my example of the neighborhood you choose to live in. I'm not offering this as like a blanket strategy because everybody ain't got the resources and the time and the potential or the opportunity to choose and be super, super selective with the school they send their children to, but keep keep it on the back burner, right? Like push come to shove, or if the opportunity does arise, like be willing to say, you know, at least ask, is this the best school for my child, right? Even if ultimately you decide to stay or just go to the traditional, traditionally zoned schools or whatever your ultimate decision is, definitely. And I know parents are already doing this, right? Most parents are doing this. But I think in your reflection of trying to decide what's the best school for your child, make sure you're considering their ability to be affirmed in that space. And not just like affirmed as individuals, but within the curriculum and the education itself, right? So my last environment that i'm going to talk about is the community community environment and so parents can also influence and have some degree of control over the other community spaces that their children are involved in so i'm thinking about things like little league teams sports teams um other like dance leagues art clubs summer camps local organizations churches fundraising committees and what I was just thinking about uh, community service opportunities, right? And so you can definitely, as you're already doing, trying to decide which and how often and where and why you're going to enroll your children in different spaces, continue to use the lens of colorism to help you make those choices, right? So like, yes, my child really wants to play, um, little league baseball. Um, but is this, is this league, a a good league for him to be in or for her to be in right is this league um, do they mistreat darker skinned children right are they do they show signs of colorism on this dance team I want my child to be in dance but the the instructors and the dance school is clearly colorist so maybe I'm willing to drive an extra 10 minutes to a dance school that is invested in diversity and inclusion right Um, looking at Things like, not only is the team itself diverse, but maybe there are actual organizations that on top of that, they are, they're also invested in the mission of creating more opportunities for black people. I, 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 I just, I'm not saying it because I don't think there are many organizations, like formal organizations, that are invested in ending colorism. <laughs> So I'm not going to tell you, like, oh, go join a dance team that's invested in ending colorism. But at the very least, join a team or a league or an organization that's invested in uplifting black people. But again, like, you know, all of you already know, those be the organizations that are most colorists. The ones who claim that they are for black people. Hmm. (laughs) And so, yeah, sometimes you have to go outside of the your local black chapter of xyz because they are more colorists than the non-black spaces are racist Mm, i know that's controversial (laughs) people not gonna like me saying that (laughs) all right um then the second point in terms of the community environment is that oh i already said it yeah so in addition to the space being inclusive and diverse and equitable is try to find spaces where that is their actual mission, right? where they have a mission. Whether they state that as a mission or not, really, because you can tell by their actions and the choices that they make, um, they are deeply invested in making an inclusive experience and in making an equitable experience and you know, bringing justice to uh, everybody, especially in the local communities where they serve. So those were some of my, that's my little rundown, my recommendations. If you are a parent and there's something that has worked for you or there's something that you have tried, regardless of what age your kids are, and you're watching live, please leave a comment. Leave something in the chat that I can read for other people as well from from someone who actually has a kid because my credibility is not the highest when we talk about parenting. <laughs> Um, thank you, Lucid Lowe's, for the badge. That is so sweet and generous of you. Um, Jamie Danielle says, I talk to my son's teachers. They need to be aware of certain issues they may that might arise. Yes, Jamie Danielle. Talk to those teachers. Talk, keep talking to your son's teachers. And what? again, I, I just have to shout out my sister because I think she's dope. And she just had her 40th birthday party on Saturday, even though her birthday's not till May 6th. they they were able to do it on a time when everybody could come together. But anyway, so shout out to Jandy. I don't know if she's watching. That is, we've had these conversations whenever she sees an issue come up or she has a concern. And what she says, and I I hope she runs for school board someday. What she says is that even if my children are going to be alright, I still speak up because I care about all the children. And so for all the parents who are already on board with this stuff, and you're like, oh, we already got it. We're good in my family, right? I encourage you to still speak up, to still advocate, because there are, for every one child whose parents are on the ball, there are dozens of kids whose parents either can't or won't be advocates for them. And so you, you speaking to a teacher is not just gonna impact your child, it's gonna impact every other child that teacher speaks for the rest of teachers for the rest of their career, right? So let's say you have a, a, two, a second year teacher and this your son's second grade class or 10th grade class and you bring something to their attention you bring something to that teacher's attention you say hey you know this is really offensive and this could be triggering to black students in your class right or to you know immigrants in the class you bring that to her attention and every, and she changes she that's generations of other students you know if she's in her second year and she teaches for 30 years that's 28 years of teaching kids in a more equitable and inclusive and just way because you spoke up that one time, right? And so I think that's, I'm glad you, I'm glad that comment came through the feed, the chat, because I think that might actually be a good place to end on is that, you know, I'll I'll quote my, my sister, even if your kids are going to be okay, it's still important to advocate for all the kids who don't have those advocates, who don't have, um, again, not even, You know, going as far as like the parents being malicious, like maybe the parents just don't have the level of education or access, our ability, our time to be advocates in the way that you could. Right. And so definitely everything that you talk to a teacher about or talk to a principal about or talk to a sports coach about is going to help your child and so many other children. We love the kids. We love the babies. All right. Um, Lucy Lowe says, I might be wrong, but doesn't someone who is lighter have a greater chance of elevating their class than a dark-skinned person, given that light skin has currency in the black community? Yes, absolutely. That's 100% accurate. They're more likely to, especially they, if their like, family is light-skinned, they're more likely to be born into a higher social class. And then they're also more likely to be able to elevate their social class and so i did a live stream on class and color and i also mentioned that class and status aren't necessarily the same thing and i talked about how a dark-skinned person who technically has the same money or like income level or like wealth level as a lighter-skinned person still might not have the same status in the community it might not have the same status in society and so yeah it's the, i think that it that intersection of both how much money you have and the value that is placed on you i have to sneeze <laughs> the value that is placed on you in society exactly yes um says there may be no organizations formally established in colorism but there are organizations pushing it on the down low Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. absolutely <laughs> i will also say this is this is also a shameless plug and I already know there, there are some out there. There are, like, um, Let's Talk Colorism, I think. What's their Instagram handle? They changed their Instagram handle. The Color in Me. I think it's underscore the color in me. Um, now I'm just pretty. I have seen Colorism Healing, even though I'm not, like, a 501c3 organization. So uh, what I'm saying is, one, support those that are doing it. But also start One especially if you're thinking about starting like a local chapter, like maybe we can have like local chapters of colorism healing. And then like, you know, you can have people who can like meet in person and apply the issues of colorism to a specific local community, right? Like be on the ground, like on site, you know, like, okay, in this neighborhood, in this school district, here's how we're going to band together to address colorism. Like, that might be, you know, somebody put that together, like run that, run that uh, to the, I don't know. I don't know how to finish that statement. <laughs> oh, y'all are getting the, the very, very <laughs> raw, real <laughs> uh, live stream here. Okay, so if there are no other comments or questions, um, I appreciate you all for joining us. And hopefully, again, you got some information but at the very least, hopefully you got a laugh. Hopefully you got a good laugh <laughs> out of this live stream. Um, I will be back. I have my topic picked out, but I don't remember it. So I'll, I'll try to announce it ahead of time. I'll, I'll also say I, I just posted a new vlog on my YouTube channel, and I'm really excited about it. I like this vlogging thing, so that'll probably be around a little bit more. Um, you can check that out. Oh, the the writing contest. I knew I was like, oh, I have announcements to make. The writing contest is open, um, free to enter. The deadline is April 30th. We accept poetry, essays, and um, stories. So do that. And yeah, I'll see y'all next week, everyone. Thank y'all. Love y'all so much. Thank you so much for tuning in. Don't forget to subscribe and share. And I hope you can join us for the next one.